So uh, as I kick off today's message, I'd like to start with a real simple question this morning. How are you doing? Fine. Okay. Great. Oh, that's great. Awesome. Glad some people are great. (laughs) Fine. That's kind of the default word that I hear from so many people. Fine. And if you've been coming here for a while now, you'll know in my life and in my family's life, we now consider fine to be the F word. It's the F word. It really is fine. Because um, if I as honestly just even ask this question of myself, how am I doing? You see, there are parts of my life, just like there are parts of your life, where you see God moving. And you see God at work, and you're encouraged, and you're excited, and, and, and it's just amazing. But then, if your life is anything like my life, you have other parts of your life where you're probably discouraged, feeling a little blah, wondering what is God doing and why isn't he doing anything by all human appearance, and it can be confusing, you could be feeling beaten up, and if we're really, really honest, in a lot of areas of our lives, I think we can also struggle with the idea of that of losing hope. And that's what's the weird thing about the world that we live in today. That's the weird thing about the Christian faith at this moment of history is we see God doing amazing things on the large scale. Amazing things and stories of people coming to faith in Christ by the thousands and the tens of thousands in all over the world. And yet we still have war. And we still have famine. And we still have disease, and we still have pain, and we still have suffering, and that's at the global scale. And then just in our own lives, we feel God close sometimes in some areas, and in other parts of our lives, we are discouraged, feeling beaten up, and losing hope. See, and that's been my desire as we've been going through this book of Revelation study together. It's not just to fill our heads with understanding the book of Revelation. Like, if that's all that happens throughout this series, if I just filled your head with knowledge, then I have failed you as a pastor. Because that's not John's desire as a pastor writing to the church. He's writing this letter to a church that is discouraged, that is feeling beaten up, that's trying to figure out what their place is in this world where they are being killed for their faith. And he is telling them to be encouraged, church, that there is hope. And not just a future hope, even though we do have a future hope in the return of Christ, there is hope today for the church. There is encouragement today for the people of God, regardless of the circumstances around us. So just as a quick recap of what we've been talking about over the last number of weeks, we started the series off talking about how, you know, everything is all about Jesus being at the center of the church and being the center of our lives as his followers. We talked about the role of the church And how the role of the church is not to bring judgment and condemnation into the world, 
The role of the church is to bring refreshment and healing in the name of the great amen. We talked about how a life of fullness comes from living the way of the lamb. We talked about how the church in the sufferings of the world, in our own personal sufferings, we cry out to Jesus to come into the pain of the world. We saw how God's judgment against evil started at the very beginning of time and will continue until the end of time. And John, the author of this book, his desire is for you to be encouraged in the Lord, to be encouraged in what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do one day. And so today, like last week, we're going to be talking about judgment. Now, I get it. Judgment is not our favorite topic to go through. It is not my favorite topic to preach on, but it's just a reality of something that we've got to get through. Again, because when we fully understand godly, righteous, loving, perfect judgment, well, then it makes celebrating Easter Easter a whole lot better. See, sadly, too much of too many of us have been exposed to human judgment where it's faulty, where it's full of sin, where it's full of pride, where it's boastful, where it's arrogant, where it's condemning. And when our experience of judgment is human judgment, well, then, of course, we don't want anything to do about the topic of God's judgment because we mix up the two. See, the faulty human judgment that we dish out in the world and in our in the people around us and we receive and we give is not the same as God's perfect, holy, righteous, loving judgment. So we have to kind of remember that as we read this passage today. So we're going to continue here. I'm going to read from Revelations chapter 11, and I'm going to be reading starting in verse 15. And so we're going to be talking about the seventh trumpet. So if you remember last week, we went through the first number of trumpets, these trumpet judgments that are happening. So these angels are blowing trumpets and these woes are coming upon the world as these trumpets are being blown. So I'm going to read here about the seventh trumpet happening here in Revelation 11 verses 15 to 19. So let me read this. It says, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven, which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, and for rewarding your servants and the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. 
those of you who are, are kind of tracking along, I've had a number of people reach out to me during the week and actually ask me, what are you preaching on next week? Because we're reading it as a life group and we're studying it and we want to get a little bit deeper into, into this. So if, if that's you this morning, you might be sitting here right now incredibly stressed out that I skipped a chunk. You're going, but, but, but Pastor Kevin, how come you're not talking about John and the angel and the little scroll that the angel gives to John and John eats the scroll? Why aren't you, why aren't you talking about that? Or you might be going, well, I was really looking forward to figuring out who these two witnesses are. Are they actually really two witnesses? Is there something going on? Like, who are these witnesses? Why aren't you telling me this? Well, th- let this be my discipleship lesson to you. I've given you the resources that I'm using. I've told you the books that I'm reading. God has created this amazing thing called Google. It is a great time in human history to learn to actually disciple ourselves. You don't need to be dependent on me. You need to learn how to feed yourself. You need to learn how to study the word of God yourself. So this is my discipleship moment to you. Why did I skip chapter, the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11? So you can go learn it yourself. And if you got questions, email me, and I'll tell you you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Now, that's a bad joke. Now, I just ruined the whole point. Now, you're afraid, and you're not going to go do it, right? But no, but this is the thing. This is what we need to do. This is not, your faith isn't dependent on me, right? It's not, it's not the way the body of Christ works. We're a body. We all use our gifts and our talents to build one another up. I need your gift at work in the church to build me up. Just like you use my gifts to build you up. It's a mutual thing that we do. That, and that's how encouragement happens more and more and more. Right? When we're actually doing this Christian thing together. And so the big idea that I want to explore today as we look at this seventh trumpet judgment is this. This is the big idea. Is that God punishes the great and the small as he also rewards the small and the great. That God does punish the great and the small. But he also rewards the small and the great. And so let me just kind of unpack that a little bit. And we're going to look at um, three different things from this section here to kind of help us understand what's going on in this last trumpet judgment that is kind of happening here. But before I do, again, I just have to remind everybody, again, because I hear so many Christians who use this language. When bad things happen in your life, when bad things happen in my life, there's something in us in our, I don't know if because we were just raised in guilt and in shame and in condemnation. And when bad stuff happens, we think God's wrath is on us. We think God must be punishing me. God is angry at me. God is trying to put me back in my place because I did something wrong. And, and I was kind of raised in a French-Canadian Christian environment like that. That's why I walked away from God for decades, because I was told as a young child that God hated me. Because I couldn't sit still in class in elementary school. I still can't sit still <laughs> 50 years later, right? But um, we've got to remember that judgment and punishment is not a behavioral thing, right? Because Paul reminds the church in Romans chapter 8 where he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, when we sin, is there correction that needs to happen? Yes. When we sin, is there consequences to it? Yes. But is God mad at you and is punishing you and has turned his back on you? No. No. We have to stop living this way of thinking God is mad at me all the time and God is punishing me. Because there is no condemnation. If you have truly put your faith in Christ to save you from your sins, you are, no, you are not condemned. You're not condemned. It's not a behavior thing. Right. And so, again, so let's look at this trumpet judgment here, the seventh trumpet to encourage us to build hope. This is how you have to study judgment. You have to study judgment through this lens that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Just like we saw last week from John three seventeen, you know, where Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Because in sin, in the curse that the world is already under, the world is already condemned. He came to set the world free, to free them from this sin, right? And so let's get encouragement while we hear about this. The first thing that I find really fascinating about this passage is it talks about a kingdom. It talks about a kingdom. And so... In this, this judgment here is a little bit different than the other judgments because it doesn't come with this three-letter word, whoa. Not like, whoa, Bill and Ted kind of California whoa, but I mean like, whoa is me. This is a horrible calamity that is happening here, right? This trumpet doesn't come with this warning of whoa, but there's still a, a shift that's kind of happening here. And again, and the challenge of reading this, is this a future shift or is this a something that happened in the past shift or is it something that's happening right now? And I think really it's a yes again here, past, present and future. What we see happening here right at the very beginning is that there is the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of of our Lord and of his Messiah. What we're seeing here, right here in this verse here in, in, in verse 15 is the picture of two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms that are happening here. There is this kingdom of the world. And when we study, when we look at kind of what the Jewish people deem to be the kingdom of the world, what they're talking about here is we're talking about this. There's this kingdom of darkness, Right? There's this kingdom that's ruled by sin. There's this kingdom that's ruled by death. There's this kingdom of suffering and sorrow and pain and curses. There's this kingdom of the world. And the verse here says the kingdom of the world has become. Interesting word here. It's not saying is becoming. It's not saying will one day become. It is saying this kingdom of the world has become. Has become what? The kingdom of our Lord. 
through God's redemptive act. And what redemption means is that this payment of sin that had to be paid when Jesus died, it ushered in the full kingdom of God. Not just this future thing that we long for, but the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Messiah. See, Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, he has become, not will become, he has become victorious over the kingdom of darkness, over the kingdom of this world. And this isn't just a a revelation teaching. This is all throughout your Bible teaching. This idea that the kingdom of God is already victorious. Right in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 we read, For he has rescued us, not he will rescue us, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us, not will bring us, but he has already brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Right, it talks about this in, uh, what is this one? in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 7, where this prophecy is given about this kingdom of God. It's that, talking about the Messiah that will come. It says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, uh, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Old Testament, New Testament, Revelation is showing us that this kingdom of darkness is defeated. This kingdom of the world has been dealt with. Now, of course, we live in the struggle of the now but not yet. In the now complete but not yet fulfilled. And so how does that work out? How do we deal with that? Well, there are two ways to deal with it. The first way is that we can try to deal with this in our own power. We can. We're smart enough. We're educated enough. We have enough background. And you and I, we could just roll up our sleeves and get to work and say, we are going to deal with the sufferings of the world. I'm going to deal with the sufferings of my life, and I'm going to solve this. See, this, that first position of I'm going to do this and figure this out myself and solve this myself is my default. It's my default. I'm a problem solver by nature. In fact, I'm such a problem solver by nature, I think I just go looking for problems. I don't know if this is because there's that many problems in the world or it's because I just recognize it, but it seems like a lot of times it's like when I have no problems in my life, I feel like there's something wrong. And so I got to find one, right, so that I can fix it. So I can feel good about myself. I can feel like I'm accomplishing something. I can feel like I'm making a difference in the world. So often we can think it's on us. And we as Christians are not immune from that. I I, I hear the Christian language so often, and and it's upsetting me a little bit. I don't know if I'm just getting old 
and it's bothering me. But when I hear churches and I hear Christians and I hear denominational leaders saying, well, I serve the Lord and we need to get to work. Now, I get what's said and what's meant by those statements, but it's backwards, right? I, I, I don't serve the Lord out of guilt. It's like I don't do this work in order to see some kind of godly kingdom come into the world, right? It, it's, I'm living a life that's actually letting God's power work, and that's the difference. Those are the two contrasts. There's the, you can choose to live by your power, or we can surrender to God's power and let God's power work in our lives. Right? And so this is what I love about this passage here, where it's talking about this power that has come. Right? In verse 16, when the 24 elders are worshiping God, right? it says, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. There's great encouragement for me in that verse. <laughs> that it's not a future reign. It's that Jesus, by his power, is reigning right now. See, he is reigning in my life right now, even in the parts of my life that are not going the way I wish they were going. Jesus is ruling and reigning right now in our country, even though it may look like he's not. He is ruling and reigning over the earth right now, even though we think he isn't. And so it's a mind shift that I think this letter reminds us of. It reminds me how God is working in human history, how God is working right now, and to find encouragement about this. And again, this is an idea. It's a teaching. It's not just in Revelation. It's all throughout your entire Bible of God's reign in the world, of Jesus' power, God's power working in the world. We see this in Isaiah 43 as an example, where God says to the prophet, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. And now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. In the wasteland, God is bringing life already through his power. Right? In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, verse 17 to 19, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Christ, that person, is a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. Right? All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He's not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And one of my absolute favorite verses in the entire Bible comes from Revelations 21, where the words of Jesus himself, it says, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Every few years, and I don't do this every year because I don't have the stomach to handle it every year, but every few years I rewatch the Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. And I can't, I can't stomach it every year. It's just too brutal. 
It's too brutal. I remember when I first saw that, when it first came out in the movie theater, I went, and I went with one of my best friends who I've known since high school. And, and he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. I've shared my faith with him more times than I can imagine um, that he just doesn't believe in God. And, and that's where he's at. And we're sitting here and we're watching this movie, The Passion of the Christ. And it's at the scene where they're just like beating him into a bloody mess. Right. And my buddy has got his knees up on the chair in front of him. And he's like this. And he's screaming at the movie screen going, just say you're not God. My atheist friend knew exactly why Jesus was being crucified. (laughs) He wasn't being crucified for being a good moral teacher. My atheist friend knew that this man was going through this suffering because he declared himself to be the I am. (laughs) Right? And in that movie... Every time I watch it, there's the scene when Jesus is carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem, and he's bleeding to death, and he's suffering. And then it's got this scene, and this is not the way the Bible kind of describes it, but it still just brings me to tears every time I see this scene, where his mother Mary runs up to him, and he says, Mother, I am making all things new. There is huge power in that statement there is huge hope in that statement there is huge encouragement not in our power and what we do for the lord and the work that i'm doing to see the world to be a better place see it's jesus is already doing that work he is already changing the world he is already changing people's lives and we're invited into being a part of that work with him because he's doing it. It's his power at work. It's him who's accomplishing these things. It is him who is victorious. It's him who overcomes the kingdom of the world by his power, not ours. And then the final thing that we can kind of see in here is we do see a call to judgment that in their worship, these elders in heaven are crying out for judgment. That the time has come for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants and your prophets and your people who revere your name, both great and small. And we're going to talk more about that type of judgment later on in this series. Because again, it's so important to understand that type of judgment. Like there, there are rewards in heaven. There, there are rewards here by this language that we're seeing. And, and what does that mean that, that God rewards people and God and these type of things? And so we got to kind of figure this stuff out, <laughs> make sure we have a good understanding about that. But we're going to talk more about it. But again, one of the things that I, again, love about this worship service that we're seeing at play here in this vision of heaven is that there's two different types of judgment happening here. There's a God's holy, righteous judgment that's taking place. And it's in direct contrast to the way the world judges. You see, the way the world judges, we judge by power. We judge by wealth. We judge by looks. We judge by influence. 
We judge by number of followers on Facebook, number of likes, number of clicks, number of subscribers, all of these type of things, how the algorithm is making me an influencer in the world and all the influence that I can have and build my little kingdom. And we judge and we judge and we judge and we judge. We judge people by color. We judge people by religion. We judge people by their denomination. We judge people by their interpretation of revelation. Just remember that. We do this. We're, we judge by the world's standards. And one day, that judgment will be gone. Because Jesus judges by a radically different set of rules. Like Jesus actually says this. Again, this is not a revelation teaching. This isn't your entire Bible teaching. Like the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 20, verse 16 says, The last will be first. And the first in the world will be last. He judges by a completely different set of standards. And I find so much encouragement in that. I find so much hope in that. (laughs) That, oh, praise be to God that I'm not being judged personally by the way, by my heavenly father, the way the world would judge me. That I'm under a completely different set of rules and regulations and guidelines when it comes to judgment, right? So these are the kind of three things that we unpack here. You've got the kingdoms, you've got the power, you've got judgment here. And then so, and I've kind of shared a little bit with you in here how I personally find these things encouraging, and maybe this helps you find encouragement and hope, but there's one last thing in here that I really want to highlight for each and every one of us to really show the power of this passage here to bring encouragement to the church, Right to bring encouragement to your life. And it's this last verse here in verse 19, where it says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. Just right there for a moment. That little verse right there should bring great, great comfort and hope to you. And you might be going, how? Well, let me try to get you there in the next few minutes, okay? It's it's this picture of the Ark of the Covenant in the throne of heaven. And this is the challenge, again, depending on your interpretation of Revelation. If you think this is all future, a lot of Christians believe this is the temple in Jerusalem rebuilt. And that the Ark of the Covenant has been found and has been put back into the temple. Now, some Christians believe this. Now, here's the challenge. I don't want to say problem, but it's a bit of a little bit of a problem if we hold that view. Because if you hold that type of view that one day this temple will return, the ark will be found, and then God is going to kind of, he's like allowing this form of worship to return, what that shows is um, a breakdown of what God has done in human history. It actually contradicts what God has actually done. You see, the reason why you and I celebrate Good Friday It's because in the temple of God in Jerusalem, there was a room called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where there was the full presence of the glory of God there. And there was a big giant veil that had to keep that glory away from people because people couldn't handle it. We see all throughout the Old Testament, you come into the full presence of the glory of God, it killed you. Humans couldn't handle it. And when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn 
And it was torn because the complete, total glory of God is now available to all living people. And the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? God doesn't need a temple in Jerusalem. God doesn't need the Ark of the Covenant to bring his glory into the world. How is God bringing his full and complete glory into the world right now? Through you. And now you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, what a mess that is. Isn't it though? Isn't that just like God to do, take things that are messy and screwed up and show his complete, total glory and goodness to the world? Like this is what he's doing, right? So it's not this future thing. It's this present thing. One of the things that I skipped is that God is taking measurements of his temple in this vision. Well, if you think of the fact that it's not this future temple, that the church, you are the temple, well, then guess what God's doing? He's taking measure of his church. He's taking measure of me, of you. How are we doing? How are we following? Are we trusting his power? Are we submitting to his will? Or are we just trying to do our own thing? <laughs> right? Very different view take of it. But what does the ark represent? See, when we study the ark, two words come up again and again and again and again and again when you study the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant to the people of Israel represented God's presence and God's promise. God's presence and God's promise. You, temple of God, if you have turned from your sin and you've invited Jesus to save you of your sin, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes on you and you become the temple of God because the Holy Spirit is now in you. And in you is the completion of God's presence and of God's promises. So when life is hard, when life is hard, God is with you. When, when, when the world seems like it's a total mess, God's promises are with you. He's not abandoned the church. He's not forsaken you. He's never left you. He's not punishing you. He's with you. And so, yes, God is punishing and when you look at kind of the world and how the world is structured, those who are still lost in their sin, that there is this punishment that has happened and is happening because of sin. The great people of the world will be punished. The small little lowly people of the world will be punished. But the beauty of the good news of Jesus is we're not playing by the world's rules. <laughs> because the kingdom of God has come. <laughs> that Jesus has come to set the captives free, to set you free from the power of this dark world, to set you free from the power of sin and death and the reward of everlasting life with God. doesn't matter how small you are, how great you are. The good news of Jesus is for every single human being. And we accept that simply by saying, Father, forgive me a sinner. Forgive me a sinner. 
come into my life. And if you pray that with all earnest today, let me know after the service. If you pray that online, a pop-up shows up. Let us know that you've done that because you, when you pray that, you step from this kingdom of the world into the kingdom of light and you become a temple, the temple of God, that God's presence is with you, that God's promise is on you. No matter what's going on around you, the kingdom of God has come completely into your life. So this is a small little passage here. Read it again this week. Make the, This is a worship service that's, that's happening in heaven. <laughs> These elders are not standing like this, worshiping the kingdom of God, worshiping the power of the risen Christ. They're on their face in worship. Now, I'm not saying you've got to get on your face. <laughs> But we need to find hope and encouragement in the one who died for us, who came and dwells us and is making his kingdom more and more apparent in the world as we wait for that day where it becomes complete, completely complete. <laughs> so let's pray. Father God, we praise you today in this place. And Father, I find great encouragement for how you work in the world. Father, forgive me when I've tried to do work, do your work in my own strength and not be dependent on your power. When I've tried to see my kingdom come and my will be done instead of your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. And so, Father, for all of us here as a church family, no matter what we're going through, I pray that even today we would find more encouragement that we would find more hope that your kingdom has come, that your will is being done here on earth as it's being done in heaven, that the kingdom of this dark world has been defeated and that you are victorious over sin and death in the world. You are victorious over sin and death in my life, in my own life. And so, Father God, I pray as we worship you in this place, you would speak to us that you would minister to us, that you would encourage us in everything that we have to face this week, knowing, God, that you're with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.